Today's program is brought to you by Patina Events at Brooklyn Botanic Garden, an idyllic location for weddings, corporate events, and parties of any style. Visit us at patinaevents.com. Hey there, HRN listeners. This is Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears. I know that news about COVID-19 and the coronavirus has made a lot of people nervous about getting sick. This collective unease has already had a big impact on our restaurant and food communities, especially in New York's Chinatowns. We hope that now more than ever, our listeners will join us in supporting restaurants and the hospitality industry at large. Many of the restaurants we love are small, independent businesses. That means that even one or two bad weeks can put them in jeopardy of cutting staff, limiting hours, or even having to close for good. As long as we're still able, we should go out to eat and support our favorite restaurants. I think it's also great to remember that hospitality professionals are really good at hygiene and food safety practices. Long before there were guides all over the news about how to properly wash your hands, they were already experts at hygiene. Guests' health is tantamount to successful hospitality in any restaurant. And even if you don't want to go out, you can still support restaurants by ordering delivery, buying gift cards, and giving them some extra love on social media. What better way to handle a crisis than by supporting those in our own community? If we don't support them now, they might not be there when this crisis is over. Join HRN in supporting restaurants during this time, especially our friends in Chinatowns around the country. Thanks for listening. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And I usually say I'm sure that all of them are listening to Tech Bytes right now, but I think maybe only half today because people are probably occupied with a lot of world news right now. Today is March 10th, 2020, if you're listening into the future, and I know many of you do. We are here for episode 199 of Tech Bytes. We are talking about the Forbes 30 under 30 list. It comes out every year. It is a great snapshot of what is happening in over 20 industries. Food, drink, tech. We covered it in our very first episode back in January 2015. That was five years ago. Amazing. And we are revisiting it now because there's a lot of great stuff happening. And... It's always fun to talk about the future, which is now. So joining us in studio today, we have Kristen Stoller and Chloe Savino from Forbes to talk about the list. Both of them have worked (laughs) on the list for a few years, so they have some great insight for us. And then we also have one of the 30 under 30 winners this year, Ariel Pasternak. Welcome. Thank you. And we're going to have a call in from a winner on West Coast later after the break. So let's get into the show like we always do and talk about first up apps, things we love, new things we've discovered, old favorites that have been living on our phone for 10 years. Anybody have any original apps that they love still? Way back time machine. That's a tough question. Still updating? Yeah. The Wayback Machine is uh, something I use. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about apps, though. Apps. Well, right now, I just discovered The Knot, which is bad to use, but I'm getting married, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it, but that's, a, that's about it. I've been using some weird, like, wild edible foraging apps recently. Where uh, are you foraging? Uh, I mean, like, Bushwick? when I got... <laughs> 
I wish. Um, no, <laughs> I, grew up in, I grew up in New Jersey. Um, okay. So I'll go out there from time to time out in like Western countryside. Um, but so I have some apps, but I don't think they're original, unfortunately. Um, do you actually go out into the wild and look at stuff and then compare it to the app and then eat it? Sometimes. I mean, I, I'll, I'll go out usually with a guide often so it depends but if I will be out like just with my sister um or we'll be out at our friend's place in like the Berkshires be like like picking up some weird wild asparagus I'm like I think I can eat this but I'm not totally sure um but that's probably the extent of the the food apps I'm trying to get rid of the apps right now I'm spending way too much money on food delivery okay (laughs) do you think that's going to go away soon well I know the New York City's been you know um trying to scale it back and impose new regulations. And I think that's fair. I think a lot of people are getting, you know, messed up with it, honestly. You can say whatever you want. We're, <laughs> we're internet-based radio. Oh, so great, because I curse way feel too much. Free to, <laughs> feel free to say whatever you need to say. <laughs> oh, I think people are getting screwed. I mean, it's like an awesome, 100%. It's like a $12, at least, added onto an order. It's like, that's a lot of money when you, if you, you know, live a inconvenient lifestyle and have to order, you know, late at night sometimes. Oh, so you're talking about people getting screwed being the consumers who are paying delivery charges. Oh, I, I mean, I think that there's a screwing going on all, a lot of sides. All of around, this in, in all this around. Yes, I'm saying me personally, I'm trying to get off, get, get off the food delivery apps right now. Okay. <laughs> you know, it might be a nice time to start cooking at home. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and also just, I mean, like, nesting supporting, a little supporting bit. local is so important right now. It's your point earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Supporting local is great, and a lot of the delivery apps don't necessarily support local because the money goes back to corporate HQ, which is not probably in Bushwick. And the margins are getting messed up, too, for like local business owners, right? Always has been. Apps. Yeah. Always has been. One Thanks. of the very, very early shows we did was a show called Are Delivery Services Bad for Restaurants? And the answer was pretty much, yeah. It always has yeah. been, and I think people are just starting to wake up to that, right? But it's only because it's been hitting them in, in their pockets. Well, it's an interesting time with the coronavirus. I was just reading about some of the delivery services going contact free. So delivery might actually not disappear right now Mm -hmm. or downcrease because of just the unusual situation that we're in where you can opt with some of the delivery services to have it left at your door or on the porch where you don't have to actually see the make contact with the delivery person. Totally, and I think for the same point, right? That's why meal kits are a little bit more exciting than I think they were mm-hmm. in a, f- a few months ago, right? I think right. a blue apron is really compelling for a lot of people right now. Right, no shopping. Getting it no delivered nothing. direct to your door, right. mm-hmm. completely fresh. You know exactly where it comes from. Interesting. I'm really thinking that we might do some. Um, we might do a show next week or the week after about exactly these topics because it's very salient and food tech definitely has a part to play in it. One of the interesting things, and we're, I'm not going to digress anymore. We're not going to side con- conversation because um, we could spend the entire 45 minutes talking about this. I'm also waiting for the stories in the news, news people, about the businesses that are going to flourish. We, you know, we're focused so often on, on the businesses that won't, and certainly, especially if we have the power to help them survive and make sure that it's not as difficult as it needs to be, and we certainly do as, as consumers, as you heard you know, Harry talking at the top of the show. But there will be a category of businesses that thrive. Oh, definitely. There's always winners in a recession. Mm-hmm. And maybe even some new products or new services that come to light or that are getting developed now. Who knows? Maybe next year's Forbes under 30 
Yeah, I mean, I could see it's a incubating right now. Big yeah. avenue for food tech. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, even just uh, a testing app, right? I mean, there are some of those um, allergy testing um, hardware um, mm -hmm. services um, and companies that are out there today, and I could I could see something like this happening, especially, you know, if, if pandemics could get to be more frequent in the future. We don't know. Mm. And we had a story recently that all the canning companies and canned food companies are doing incredibly well, like the Campbell's, the Progresso's, everyone's doing great from that. For sure. Yeah. And on top of that, I will say, in, in the restaurant space, uh, we are seeing at least, um, you know, folks like um, Darden at least briefly uh, giving workers um, uh, emergency vacation um, ses um, setups, which is a, a band-aid on a terrible issue, um, but at least I am happy to see that happening right now. Aerial apps. <laughs> <laughs> Total non sequitur segue back to. So this is, the question is original apps? No, just whatever kind of app you like right now. I always throw out there, people often think of like the new thing, the newest thing that mm. they just downloaded, but sometimes the old thing is also still there and something that you use. Every now and again, I use Shazam, for example, which I mm -hmm. think is one of the first ones, which I still enjoy Yeah, quite a lot. I mean, I think my two standbys are always Google Maps and then also Instagram. Um, can't give up my Instagram, but right now, rather than like scrolling through stories or at my feed, what I love is uh, curating my saved gallery. Oh. And I get a lot of inspiration there um, and I turn back to it often I really wish it was actually a better tool I've like talked to Instagram many times I completely agree with that being yes. like yeah. this should be it's something you invest in as a product I wish so I bookmark tool. things all the time yeah. for the show to send to people to remember shopping all yeah. of that is curating your saved feed a thing it is and how, how does one do that yeah, so I think personally and professionally, there are different ways people use it. Mm -hmm. So professionally at Pineapple Collaborative, which is my company, we, um, social media, Instagram is a huge part of our business, and we have multiple saved galleries on Instagram that we use for planning our editorial content. Um, so it's really helpful to like put it into buckets that we can then slot into you know, our content calendar. Personally, I use it all the time for everything from like reference points for something I want to cook or paint, a place I want to travel to, eat at. Um, and I see folks um, sharing their like a montage of their um, like saved feed of like hmm. where their mind is right now. Interesting. So I haven't started doing that myself, but I've been tempted to. I'm really hoping they start uh, making it all your safe stuff searchable by address at a certain point because I usually usually use it for travel and um, you know trying to fly different restaurants I want to go to or different uh, museums I want to go to. Yeah, the other thing is like integrating it with Pinterest. I'm a huge Pinterest user. I don't use Pinterest on mobile, but a ton on web and vice versa. I only use Instagram on mobile, not on web. So I wish there was better integration between the two, like web, mobile, but. That's for another time. Okay. Curating your saved Instagram feed. Okay. More projects. More projects. More screen time. Yay. So Chloe and Kirsten, this year's 2020 list, I was reading um, online. There were over 15,000 nominees, which sounds like a lot, C called down to 600 companies in 20 categories. 
How was the 1,500 nominations? And you didn't look at all of those. You looked at the ones in the food and drink category. Yeah, I mean, we, we get hundreds through that online portal. And then we ourselves, you know, since we've been doing this for several years, we go through all of our contacts and really call to see who else we're missing. And, I mean, the food and drink list alone, we had like nearly a thousand um, nominees at, by the end of all, everyone we had looked through for this past year. Were there any trends of what you saw? Did they fall into a couple of basic categories? Oh, for sure. I mean, we so it's food and drink and agriculture. So we have everyone from sometimes even food tech or ag tech startups on the list of farmers. Um, but I mean, in the food world, we have a lot of CPG. And, um, you know, that follows a lot of the CPG trends, which, um, you know, in the past has been a lot of CBD in the past year, a lot of keto, no sugar added. I think a lot of these trends are more fads. Um, but um, I think the past year, the folks who made our list, especially in the CPG world and beverage world, you can see them following that no sugar added trend particularly. And we were shocked this year by the amount of meal kits that we had, which we thought was, you know, so five years ago. But this year we had two actually on our list, which really shocked us that this was a thing that in 2020 we wanted to put two on our list. We went back and forth on it for a while, and we were honestly just blown away by the numbers at a certain point. The numbers spoke from themselves. We were looking at these two companies. We Honestly, I for the entire time, I thought we were only going to choose one. Yep. We ended up picking both. And what are the two companies? Um, it is uh, Fresh and Lean, which is based in Southern California. And um, Eat Clean Bro, which is based in New Jersey. You might have seen a lot of their billboards if you're a tri-state folk like us. Mm-hmm. Um, can, can I say, just as a sidebar, that Eat Clean Bro, the CEO, is a woman? Um, Fresh and Lean just, is a woman, too. I yeah. love that Eat Clean Bro is CEO'd by a woman. It was shocking. <laughs> yes. We got so many questions about that. I just love that. It's hilarious. like, bro, women... <laughs> Very, very strong bro advertising. No, but I mean, so we did a taste test side by side during our judging judging day, which is when we pulled together. um, We essentially have a finalist uh, list of a hundred companies, a hundred founders. And we have um, our judges, including this year was Christina Tosi and the uh, Bonza co-founder, Brian Rudolph, who was an alumni from a few years ago. And we sat down, we um, did a tasting side-by-side of a bunch of all their different meals. And we looked at their numbers. Um, Fresh and Lean did 30 million in revenue. Um, Eclimbro had nine million in revenue. These are crazy wow, numbers for that's a, a lot startups. Of bros. Are, yeah, that's startups a lot of bros. are you know both young founders, only a few years old each, in kind of a sale and kind of uh, you know. Uh, complicated category at this point um but you know it's not really a meal kit they're prepared meal delivery services so it's like taking the meal kit to it's a new spit on it and you know it seems to be a, a more popular avenue for these types of convenient foods now and it was great and we really couldn't we tried to pick one or the other but the food was really the exact same quality which is yeah really it, was, good. it was both very impressive yeah um so. so tell me what is the difference between a trend and a fad how do you identify the difference <laughs> that is something that is definitely more art than science. Um, I mean, we've passed, um, we've, we've talked about this over the years. So I think actually Christina Tosi is really thoughtful about thinking about this, especially when she's going through all these companies. And when we have similar companies or similar types of companies that might fall into a fad, we, we put them together and we, we, we discuss them all at, at the same time. Um, but it, it's hard. I mean, I, I think we've, we had avoided, you know, uh, edible cookie dough, for example, for a really long time. Then we did add a, a founder this past year. Um, you might be able to call that a fad. Um, but ice cream too. A lot of the non-dairy ice creams. Yeah, I these think keto we, ice creams are yeah, huge right now. We had about five of them. I think we were considering. And we picked two companies. We had Dream Pops and mm-hmm. Keto Pint. Mm-hmm. Trend or fad? 
I think keto's a fad for sure. Yeah. You think it's I a think fad. no sugar added is here to stay. Um, I think the keto diet, uh, I mean, I, I think you can look at the history of why it was made and, and um, recent adoption, I think, has been really great for some folks, but um, I don't think the diet itself necessarily has staying power. Do you think that's because keto and plant-based are going to have like a super fight and find out who wins? I mean, we can talk about the processed foods and then, you know, all these fad diets and like creating these new fake markets for a while. Um, but I think in general that um, I, I think, I think, I think, these, I think they're fads. I don't know. Yeah. And another thing that was shocking, which I don't know, trend or fad, you may be able to help me, Chloe, but um, we had a lot of alternative caffeine sources. So we yes. had a, a alternative alternative caffeine tea and uh, verb energy bars, which use different types of, um, instead of caffeine, they'll use different types of energy. And, and these things have like, a lot of food science behind them. So there's uh, like a lot of highly processed processed additives and different yeah. types of th- th- ingredients that are usually going into them. Um, but I think caffeine, I think people are tired. I think that's definitely here to stay. Again, though, I don't know if like an L-thiony necessarily <laughs> is what's here to stay, but I think people will continue to be tired. That's for sure. And caffeine will stay around. Caffeine's not going anywhere. Yeah. Trend or fad. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Did you see any big changes from year to year or the changes kind of subtle that you see? Did you see something that was too small or not quite big enough to make the list yet, but you think is coming maybe next year or the year after? I mean, there are companies that we look at for several years in a row. I mean, there are several founders that we'll look at when they literally are 19 even, um, and we'll look at them, you know, every year. And, you know, we want to make sure we're putting them on the list at the right time when it's the, the right moment in their business. Um, so I, I will say that. Um, but overall, I mean, I... I think for me, the hardest thing, and I'm a big beer fan and beer lover, is finding breweries who are big enough and doing enough in the space to put on the list. This year we had one. Um, It was a brewery, Lamplighter, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, and they're also doing a distillery. So they you could tell they were growing. But every year it's kind of hard because these breweries are just so small and the space is so saturated that it's hard to figure out one that you can really pick out and say, this is the one we want to feature. And I'll say the same thing about the natural wine industry. We've looked at a lot of founders, and I'm a big proponent of the natural wine industry, but we just haven't been able to find um, the right one with the right numbers. Um, I will say that looking back on the years past on the list, um, we had more B Corps on the list than ever before, and I think that's really powerful in the CPG community. Um, I think more young founders really are pushing to have those structures in place to have environmental protections and sustainability built into the DNA of the company. And that was not something we were seeing four years ago. Explain to people what a B Corp is. Yeah, so there's two different um, uh, certifications, but a B Corp essentially is, um, if, if there's in some certain states, there's a tax um, component to it, which adds a bit more teeth. Um, but you can essentially become a B Corp certified company. Um, it, it would It's the same type of thing you would go through for like a non-GMO project certification or an organic certification. And it's a pretty lengthy process. It costs some money, but um, that's why I think it's honestly so impressive that you're seeing young companies starting out that um, are really dedicated to being a B Corp from the get-go. Interesting. When we did our show in 2015, one of the winners was um, the founders of Caviar. A little delivery service idea out of San Francisco. One of our better picks over the years, <laughs> that's for sure. Has anybody heard of it, Caviar? So yeah, trend, trend or fad? Trend or fad? Uh, I would say here to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, 
I think a lot of the conversation around food delivery is valid and we should be having it as a broader um, food community. They're, you know, disclosure, one of the biggest supporters, financial backers of Pineapple. We've had an ongoing partnership with them since 2017 when our business first started. Started, you know, as like a very small uh, check and now, you know, they're we're doing so much with You've them. You've been doing some amazing events with them, like really cool community building. Yeah, they. it's not just even our events, which they've supported yeah. in its entirety since 2017, every single pineapple event that's happened. Wow. Um, which is epic because it allows us to do the work that we do. But they've also supported our digital content and, you know, so much more. Um, and we have a really new, exciting initiative that we're launching with them this year. Um, in April that we're really excited about because I think one of the things about pineapple that's awesome is you know we build community um, online and in real life and in real life that's only ever been in public spaces but what I will say now is uh, teaser we are piloting what building community in private spaces looks like meaning um, kind of giving power to pineapple community members that's exciting it Pineapple is such an interesting entity that you almost don't think about a community being on the Forbes list in one point of view because it's, when I think of community, I mean, obviously it's a business and it's growing and it's wonderful and you do a lot of great things, but we typically don't think of community as being something that we can monetize successfully to land us on you know, the Forbes 30 list. I mean, we didn't even talk about your monetization with the women powered uh, mm-hmm. by Caviar and how you can, you know, buy a woman-owned, uh, you buy a meal from a woman-owned restaurant through Caviar. I mean, it's right. really amazing. Yeah, that is the cornerstone, thank you, Chloe, of our partnership <laughs> with Caviar, um, where in 10 national markets, you can choose restaurants that are held by women, whether owners or, um, you know, lead chefs, pastry chefs, beverage directors. And that's been really exciting, and we worked with their team to research and, you know, um, identify those restaurants, and it's always being updated. But but to your point, I mean, I think it, it, it's fair to say probably the first community-driven business that's been on the Forbes f- food list for mm-hmm. under thirty. I, I think the um, I think uh, the Wing founders were on um, one of our other lists. Yeah, but um, definitely for yeah. food. I mean, it, this we've never had a food company like this before. Yeah, um, and we're really honored to be on the Forbes list. I think it was for us like such a great. Um, it like showed the world what we have always known as possible, which is, you know, building community has a lot of value to multiple stakeholders. Um, so certainly, you know, people who attend our events, who follow our content, but also, you know, partners like Caviar, um, or we're about to announce a partnership with Chase Sapphire. Um, and there's value for them in being part of our community as well. So as long as we're delivering on that value to like everyone in our community, um, then we think we can be a viable business. And I can put this into like context a bit more around the entire like food ecosystem because I think it's really powerful, right? So like what they're doing is, you know, you've had this community, then you activated it by launching olive oil and ACV this recently, right? Um, but like everyone in the CPG industry, all these brand startups are trying to figure out how to get what they already have. And they're using customer acquisition and spending an inordinate amount on Instagram ads and even LinkedIn ads and all these different social media plays. But the costs have gone up in the past year, an insane amount. All the economics is now completely out of whack. And so now really what you have is 
an entire ecosystem of startups in the food and drink world, which like really just like aren't viable necessarily anymore. And they're not viable because they've had investors pouring money in just to base off these models of customer acquisition, when really they should have just been building what Ariel and Atara have been building the entire time, which is like a real business. <laughs> Thank you. Or, or actually building several businesses simultaneously yes, exactly. under one umbrella or sequentially or at the same time and overlapping. It's, um, you know, people, we, we talk so much about building community and then everybody gets together and it's like, okay, what do we do now? We're all together. Yay. What are we going to do? Uh, what do you want to do? <laughs> so you harness people's you know, enthusiasm and passion and, you know, the reliability and the potential of everyone together, but to action, make it actionable is really challenging and to make it actionable for a sustained period and then create all these other things. If you were creating one of these entities, that would be amazing. Yeah. So we really think of our business as an ecosystem whereby, you know, the different activities of our business really reinforce each other. And so we started as an events business back in 2017. This was my side hustle for about two and a half years when I started a restaurant in DC. And um, the events led to digital content. And we decided that we only wanted to focus on like one editorial series. Uh, we called it The Pantry, where we peeked into the kitchens of women we admire. So for us, like filling a need in terms of the broader world of women in food and our passion for food. And that led to us launching products. Um, because what we saw is as we peeked into the kitchens of all these women and had feedback from our community at various touch points, whether that was like the Facebook surveys where they joined, you know, that they had to fill out to join our Facebook groups or just in conversation that women reach for certain products every day in their kitchen yet don't necessarily have a connection to those brands. But even if they do, those brands aren't like the brands that we want today, ones that you want to follow on Instagram and engage with, where you want to attend their events and be part of a larger movement. Um, and we already had that. So the community side of our business, um, as we kind of call it internally, is definitely you know supported in large part by our partners like Caviar, like Chase Sapphire, and so many others. Um, but now we've launched this revenue stream of products because for us it wasn't just a matter of we saw real opportunity in innovating on pantry staples but also knowing that we live in this Instagram era where we're taking pictures of all the things that reflect who we are, that having something Instagrammable that is pineapple um, would help us grow our community, would help create stronger ties between us and our existing community members. So that's what, that's what we're doing. And we're three months in. So far, things are really great. Um, but I think because we haven't, we're not venture-backed, um, we raised a small friends and family round last year in order to launch products, but no one's telling us we have to grow at a certain rate, um, you know, to meet, uh, you know, their returns. And so I think in the wake of what is happening right now, which is a direct-to-consumer business reckoning, um, we feel really good with the pace at which we're growing and trying, you know, we are a profitable business right now and want to maintain that. Do you... Can you tell us how you found out you were on the Forbes list? Uh, well, I found out because I always wake up late and my business partner texted me. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think we just like looked the morning of. I, I definitely texted you. Guys, you. I know I ran into you both on Broadway that day. Do you remember that? 
I was so frazzled yes. and I was running between meetings and I was actually, I'm like never late and I was running between a meeting and I was late and you oh guys my gosh, were across yes. the street and mm-hmm. you guys had made the list and it was like a few hours later and we like did like a yes. running hug. <laughs> we got a, f- well, I don't even know if I should say this on air, but we got like a fact checked email and we're like, oh, maybe, maybe hmm. we're on the list. Um, but you guys kept your cards pretty close to your chest so it wasn't until the day of that we knew and we were psyched and yes we did run into Chloe on the street and it's like I'm so sorry I have to leave immediately but I'm so thrilled (laughs) what has been one of the big surprises about being on the list big surprises um honestly it created it legitimized our business in so many people's eyes I think we always knew our business was entirely legitimate but you know Forbes is the go-to, you know, business it's publication. the big stamp of approval for business. It's the big stamp of approval. So I think, you know, especially as young women founders, um, we're not always, you know, our idea... Working with other young women. Working with other young women, even though they're the most coveted consumer of any, um, you know, we are sometimes... Our work is not thought of as, like, a real business. Well... They'll think twice about that now. Mm -hmm. We are going to take a quick break right now and find out who the real business is who is supporting this show. Did you know Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? We're kind of like public radio, public arts. We keep the lights on and the mics hot out of generosity from our members who are mostly listeners like you, grants, and businesses who underwrite our programming like this one. Stay with us. Patina Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center and Macy's Herald Square. Patina is also the exclusive caterer at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium, to galas in the renovated Palm House and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can also enjoy brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Lily Pool Terrace. Executive chef Sarah Flynn's unique menu includes modern dishes with global flavors with a focus on local and seasonal ingredients. Hello, hello. Welcome back. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today's episode is all about the Forbes magazine 30 under 30 list. It's a, you know, it's a great snapshot of people who are really moving the needle and doing innovative things. There is a food and drink category, which is very exciting. There is also e-commerce and other kinds of tech things. We have joining us in the studio today two of the Forbes writers who have worked on the list for a few years, Kristen Stoller and Chloe Servino. We have one of the Forbes 30 Under 30 winners, Ariel Pasternak, who is CEO and founder of Pineapple Collaborative. And joining us on the phone from the West Coast, we have Fiona Lee, COO and founder of Pod Foods. Fiona, are you with us? Yes, hello. Hello, how are you? How is the West Coast? Hi, West Coast has great weather, enjoying the sun today. <laughs> well, we, we, for a changer, I think, coming into our 
a little bit warm weather now. We have actually warm, but not sun. So we're going to hope to get both in the near future. <laughs> yes. So tell us about Pod Foods. You're an interesting story. Yes, um, Pod Foods is a distribution solution uh, that is catered for emerging brands. And emerging brands uh, range from your local farmer's market, um, cookie vendor, to your, the next um, RX bar or Tate's cookies, all of these new and fresh products that you see that are better for you, more sustainable, and where all the consumer reach is all right now. So you originally started a cookie company, correct? And then you yes, couldn't find the distribution that made sense for you, right? Right. What is so challenging yes. about retail distribution? Most people don't understand how that works, but we're becoming much, much more familiar with how all that works. Right. So most people don't think about um, where the products come from when they get on the grocery store shelves. Like we look at the brand and we say, oh, this is made sustainably, it's made uh, organic and it's local. But we don't think about how challenging it is for the manufacturer to actually get it onto the shelf. And that's the part that Pod Foods is uh, working on and what we're solving. When I had a cookie company, um, we struggled a lot to sell our products into retail because it involves a lot of cost. There is a lot of um, people, a lot of relationships that we need to know to get into grocery. So we would go into a store and say, hey, uh, buy our cookies. It will look really well on your shelf. And they would say, well, okay, even if I want to buy your cookie, but I need you to work with a distributor. So at that point, we started to look into distribution and distribution was really expensive to work with. Like there are promotions that are mandatory to run. There are chargebacks, lots of hidden fees, um, a lot of uh, sales volumes that we need to hit in order to continue being carried by the distributor. And most of the time, distributors require a certain amount of shelf life. So as a cookie company, we had to have at least six months to one year of, um, of shelf life. But... We wanted to make a cookie that was fresh, that for the consumer, they're not eating a six-month-old cookie. The consumer is eating a cookie that was made, you know, at most like a couple of weeks ago. And we realized a lot of brands were just like us, wanting to get the best product out there on the shelf. And when consumers were wanting the best and freshest product on the shelf as well. So we started a new distribution solution, really catering to that need and making sure that products that are good for you and better for the environment is out there. So you must see a lot of the new products then. Do you see? Do you work with mostly West Coast companies? We started in the West Coast. So we were um, starting off with the San Francisco brands and the East Bay brands and all of that. But the market has evolved. Um, a lot of people that uh, are around the country are uh, putting a lot of effort into making better products so we start to have a lot of brands approach us even if they're not in the west coast right now we work with over 600 different brands and that sounds like a, a lot. lot of them is that yeah, a lot? it is a lot i mean it is a lot uh it sounds a lot but there there are thousands and thousands of brands out there so really we're just you know having a small segment of the market right now well, if anyone has but, ever walked the fancy food show, either the winter one, which is smaller in San Francisco, or the 
big main one in the summer in New York City. It's two floors of the Javits Center. Oh, it's huge. I just spoke it, like a hundred, a hundred thousand or hundreds of thousand from countries around the world. It's overwhelming and amazing it's the so number amazing. of products there are. Like the cheese companies there are just like taking up whole, like just like a whole arena. It's snack crazy. Food. Yeah, it's nice. Snack food. I just Chips. spoke there actually with one of our other under thirties, um, Marguerite Mariscal, the Mama Fuku CEO, about like her journey and, and then, then launching into CPG. It's super interesting. Fascinating. So how do you decide which companies you work with? Do you have um, nicer standards then than the old-fashioned distribution companies? <laughs> well, we, because of the way our distribution model works and the way our logistics is set up, we can work with a lot more brands than a traditional distributor. Um, we uh, decide what brands to work with based on whether they are ready for distribution. So some brands that are really, really small, um, you know, we see brands that are just starting out making the product at home and then selling in a farmer's market. They may not be ready for distribution yet. And at that point, you know, we will say, oh, when you grow a little bit bigger, you can keep us in mind and work with us to get products to store. We want to make sure that packaging and all that is set up uh, right. But for uh, most of the time, we work with any kind of brands, but the, whatever category it is, uh, we're able to work with them. Um, we just want to make sure that they view us um, as, as a partner in their distribution and not just like a, a broker or a sales engine or something like that. So how has it gone since you became winners on the, was it winners? Is it nominees? We what? say list makers. List makers. Honorees. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Honorees. How has, how has it been since you have been on the Forbes list? Has business changed? Have you gotten a lot more phone calls? <laughs> that was really exciting to be on that list. Uh, Lois and I were both really excited. We, um, yes, it has changed. Our retailers are excited that they're working with a company that uh, it's more legit. <laughs> and they see it and they're like, wow, like I'm part of the innovation and they're excited about that. Uh, our brands, yes, we do see more brands calling. Um, some of the, the brands that were a bit skeptical of us at the start when they see that article, they feel like, okay, this is a company that they can probably trust and try to work with and have a potential to help them to grow to where they want to be. Well, there hasn't yeah. been that much time since the list and now, but have, you know, to um, Ariel and Fiona, have you found it, have you had any sort of like cold calls or pitch meetings that you've had since you've been on the list? Has it been helpful? Do people, are they more responsive? So we finished our fundraising like right after uh, the Forbes announcement, and I definitely think that helped us close Take a few you over deals. Take the finish line. Yes, mm -hmm. um, but I've gotten a lot of LinkedIn um, profile hits. I mean, that spiked a ton. And then a lot of scammers who I'm just like, how'd you get my email? Hopefully not from Forbes. <laughs> <laughs> No, we don't give those emails out. Yeah. And I will say, I feel like um, we, we just do so much vetting on the back end of this, right? I feel like it's such a legitimizing thing for so many of these young brand founders, but Kristen and I do so much work and all the other leaders of the other lists do so much work on the back end to vet all the financials and really make sure we're picking you know, the right founders because we do know it, it really can change 
you know, some of the trajectories of some businesses. For and we have fact checkers too, who make sure, you know, everyone dying is under 30. Yeah. The dying art. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I was, uh, I was in Oaxaca while we were going to press Oaxaca. And, and I was like in the mountains, three hours outside of the city and getting texts from Kristen and our fact checker. And yeah. I would be it, texting it, 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 being like, what's this person's birthday? <laughs> the fact checking, yeah. it, it all worked out. It, yeah. it all, it all happened. We go to big depths to get the fact checking in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we had just launched products um, about like two weeks before Forbes came out. And so um, it was like such an amplifying event for us with the launch of the new part of our business. And so um, it was truly, like I said earlier, legitimizing, but also I think elevated our work in ways that are maybe like intangible, but like we feel it. And proud parents probably too. For sure. And then yeah. my dad was finally like, I get it. Wow. Good job. He's <laughs> like, I get why you don't work for, like, why you've been building this. And I was like, thanks. Yeah. That's fantastic. Do you have a distributor? Are you looking for a distributor for the products? So we're all direct to consumer right now. Okay. Um, but I definitely think we're considering wholesale. Um, and I don't know with distributors right now, because we're not pursuing grocery um, at this stage, but more like specialty shops Mm -hmm. and so we'll see what happens but um, it's definitely like a part of our business right now but I think we're trying to be strategic about how we want to grow it. So quick round. You can work with us too for specialty stores. We do that as well. Perfect. We can have like a little Forbes list powwow and connections. (laughs) So real quick everyone um, go around the room just from your points of view what do you see coming for the future the Forbes ladies do you see some what are your what are your trends that you see coming for next year I think clean ingredient lists are here to stay Um, I think there's been a lot of price premiumization happening in food recently um, in part rightfully so because it's very expensive to make food and I think food has been um, a little um, intentionally cheapened for a long time um, but I think it'll be interesting to see what categories um, have, have keep the prices as high um, and I think you'll see the ones that are doing that the clean labels I think clean label you'll always be able to um, there will always like be a value in that for a consumer I think for me it's more of quality fast casual Um, And especially leaning toward vegetarian or vegan fast casual, we had one, the in and out of vegan burgers this year, and then we had um, Lucasin with Gen Z Kitchen, and really, really good fast casual that you can feel good about eating and that you feel like you're getting a real food experience in 10 minutes. Okay. What are you making for the future? Besides continuing to elevate uh, women who are, you know, spearheading so many elements of our food industry, um, and I think we need so much more of that beyond Pineapple Collaborative, um, I think that reducing plastic is a huge thing, huge opportunity for so many brands. I mean, people don't want plastic, um, and let's, like, innovate. I mean, there's stuff out there, and make let's make it a priority. Hell yeah. Mm. And there's also great companies that are doing things with the existing plastics, which is great also to take it out of the world and make it into something useful. Yeah, reduce, reuse, recycle, but like mostly reduce, then let's try to reuse whatever is left. <laughs> and, um, you know, recycling is kind of bogus. So, uh, it, I mean, it's, it has its place for sure, but it's that, not that the savior. That place is getting smaller. Right. That place it's is not, getting smaller. It's not covering all that we're consuming. Fiona, what kind of trends do you see coming? Oh, um, yes. Yeah. So 
in addition to all of that, uh, definitely a change in the grocery experience. Retailers are trying to um, fight for more of the wallet share of the consumer. So we will start to see that the, re- the grocery stores that are doing well are those that cater to experiential shopping. Um, so, you know, we, we all know that Trader Joe's has been a really successful brand that's been around for a long time, Whole Foods as well. And a lot of these uh, grocery stores that are surviving the tech um the grocery delivery services that are offered by the tech companies tend to be more experiential. And so when you go there, you discover a lot more stuff. I'm, I think we'll see a lot of that coming up. Oh, that sounds like grocery shopping might be more fun then. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I want to thank everyone for coming out to Bushwick and Fiona for calling in. It's a great episode. Yeah, it's always you. nice to look back. Does Forbes ever do a look back to the list sort of and see what, what, what are they up to now? Well, this is going to be our 10th year. It's going to go to the press at the end of this year, but it will be our 10th year of the 30 under 30 issue. So we'll be doing a lot of look backs, I oh, think. Exciting. I'm really excited about it. We're going to mm-hmm. put together a great package this year. Oh, looking forward to that. Maybe we'll have you back on to do the big 10-year the big anniversary. We would yeah, love that. that. That would be exciting. Thank everyone for coming out. If you like the show, it will be available on demand at heritageradionetwork.org. You can also find it on your favorite podcasting platform, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, all the podcasting platforms powered by Simplecast. Our song that leads us in, which everybody loves, I wish we, I, I should actually do some live webcasting or Instagram stories. Every time that song comes on, everybody's in a great mood and they dance around. That is called Nomad, a CPU track. It was made for us by a local DJ named Uptown Nico. The sponsor of this show is Patina Restaurant Group. We hold our winter gala there in the Winter Garden in Brooklyn Botanic Gardens every year. Thanks to them. And thanks to you, our listeners in 160 countries around the world, for spending time with us, taking us with you, supporting us for 10 years. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter, Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.